Hello and welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein, and today we're talking with Dr. David Festinger, Professor of Psychology and Director of Substance Abuse Research and Education at PCOM. Dr. Festinger's work in substance abuse research includes studying the effectiveness of drug courts in the addiction treatment process, particularly with regard to the integrating of disease prevention and healthcare into the criminal justice systems for substance abusers. Welcome, Dr. Festinger. Thank you for having me today, Jack. What are some of the new areas of research in the field of opioid addiction treatment? Well, there's a lot of research going on to address this important crisis. But probably the most uh, important line of research has to do with medication. Really, they're seen now, these medications are seen as the first-line treatments for opioid use disorder. And by medication-assisted treatments, which I'll probably refer to eventually as MAT, essentially includes naltrexone, which is a complete uh, antagonist, which prevents anyone from getting any euphoric effect or even overdosing on opioids. You also have Suboxone and it blocks the kappa receptors, but it allows the mu receptors to be impacted. And then ultimately you have methadone, which a lot of people already know about, which um, has shown a lot of impact in helping people stay off of heroin and avoid some of the negative effects of injection drugs. You have naltrexone and suboxone, and most uh, people don't know which is better. Josh Lee from Columbia University, who's a suboxone doctor, he essentially conducted uh, a very seminal study, I would consider to be a seminal study, uh, where he looked at, compared the use of suboxone to naltrexone. What was ultimately found in his research was that when he looked at the people that were able to complete detoxification and start naltrexone, that both naltrexone and suboxone were equally effective. That really opens up the door to more research to look at how do we get people to be detoxified more effectively. Detoxification is currently seen as a, by many as the, the treatment of choice and where we need to send people immediately. Another area that uh, is important has to do with individuals who overdose on opioids. Currently, we're seeing about 60,000 people a year die from opioid use. Because of the advent of Narcan or Naloxone, we're seeing a lot of reversals. In order that we have now in Pennsylvania, you can actually get Narcan, uh, anyone can get Narcan from a pharmacy. There's lots of reversals. So individuals are actually being saved every day. Dozens of individuals are being saved by this new medication. So as a behavioral health practitioner, what is something you want doctors to know when treating a patient with an opioid addiction? There's a number of things I'd want them to know. And I think First of all, that addiction is not a moral failing, that it rather is more like a chronic relapsing condition, similar in many ways to diabetes or asthma or hypertension. So, I mean, currently the way our healthcare system is set up, substance abuse and addiction treatment is pretty much limited to addictionologists. Do you think we should get to a point from a training perspective where the treatment of addiction should be part of a primary care physician's repertoire 
and that you know all physicians should you know primary care physicians should be familiar with suboxone and naltrexone from a treatment perspective as our pa health secretary rachel levine said in a recent opioid workshop that i attended that we really need to practice what she referred to as stewardship and it's really our responsibility to make sure that that doctors are prepared to first of all overcome the stigma of treating addiction that they accept it as a chronic relapsing condition, but also that we make sure that they're prepared, uh, they have the training on effective treatment approaches like MAT, that they have certification to provide MAT. So most doctors, I think all doctors, in my opinion, should be X-wavered, should be able to prescribe Suboxone. They should learn how to screen for and to, uh, how to identify uh, whether individuals have addiction, and then actually even have some of the skills necessary to broach those topics with their patients. Because that can be a difficult thing to do. You know, someone comes in, especially a patient that maybe you've been seeing for a while, and there's signs of addiction that are identified. Um, a lot of doctors don't even feel comfortable talking about cigarette smoking, let, or, uh, let alone bringing up alcohol or, or something worse. This, of course, involves ensuring that all of the future doctors are well-educated on important new prevention techniques as well. So the initiatives like uh, new prescription rules, when to prescribe opioids, that opioids are essentially really for acute pain, not for chronic pain, prescription drug monitoring programs, the use of naloxone, and some of the other MAT drugs, I think all of those are very important. We can't simply say that we have parity or that addiction is like other chronic illnesses. We have to actively steward our current and future medical providers to effectively address this growing issue. I've heard you speak uh, a lot, and certainly our whole institution is focused on interprofessional education to some degree or another. Where do you see this heading in terms of medical education uh, surrounding addiction? Well, I think it's a trend that's going to continue. It's probably nowhere is it more important than treatment of addiction in terms of a medical team. I think it needs to consist of a behavioral health specialist and a pharmacist, as well as the physician. No one component can treat addiction by itself. It needs to be an integrated process. So I, I think you're going to continue to see that evolve and probably you know we'll have addiction teams in the future and quite frankly you know whether it's addiction centers or addiction team in a large multi-specialty group practice i think you'll continue to see that evolve i also want to ask you and i ask a lot of primary care physicians this question uh, including my own what do you think some some of the causes are for the reticence among primary care physicians and other doctors treating patients with addiction issues? Unfortunately, like most addiction-based diseases, whether it be alcohol or even tobacco or opioids, there's a, there's a stigma that needs to be broken. You know, that this is, these are not, you know, bad people. This are, what you alluded to earlier, they're not moral failings. These are individuals with, you know, a, a biochemical disposition for a chronic relapsing disease 
and needs to be treated that way. And unfortunately, due to you know, the etiology, when you look at heroin from a cultural basis of who and when it was associated, tended to be, have those negative stigmas to it. And I think we need to break those stigmas so that it becomes more mainstream in the model that you suggested. You know, specific to uh, a, a school of osteopathic medicine, DOs offer another important tool when it comes to therapies, particularly for pain and alternative techniques for pain management. How do you think, for example, OMT? Most definitely. Yeah. How do you think this sets DOs apart when dealing with patients who have chronic pain well, issues? Well, you have a, another non-narcotic, non-medicinal way to treat not only acute pain, but chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I think it needs to be maximized. And again, I, you know, I think we need to leverage that ability in the treatment modalities. And I know you were an ER doctor for about 10 years. Can you share some of the experiences you've had treating patients with addiction issues? I was an ER doctor for 10 years, and it was in the, like the 80s to 90s. And quite frankly, if I, you know, and I worked a 40-hour week over a 10-year period, I saw 100,000 patients. If I saw one opioid addiction overdose, it was a lot. Occasionally, I would see patients, maybe two or three a week, what we called with uh, pain-seeking behaviors, mm -hmm. you know, that were looking for prescriptions. You know, back then, the opioids were Tylenol with codeine and Percocet or Percodan. None of the, you know, opioid medications that are available today were available back then. And the patients they came in with an acute either were tended to be heroin overdoses, not, you know, prescription opioid overdoses, and we would treat them with Narcan, and basically they got discharged, and that's part of the problem. You would treat the acute episode, you reverse it, but you know, were they going for detoxification? Were they going for mm -hmm. long-term care? You know, a lot of those vehicles didn't exist, and quite frankly, we saw more overdoses from Tylenol, you know, and, sure. and prescription medications, you know, sleeping pills, barbiturates, than we did opioids. So I think it's really changed when we started to see more OxyContin, you know, more prescription, stronger opioids in the marketplace that we've seen over the last 10 years that have really driven this. So I was kind of in a different time zone, but I'm sure the handoff issues are probably as big of an issue today as they were 25 years ago when yeah, I was in practice. Yeah, in fact, I, they've grown exponentially. I, re, I really do think that we're having a big problem uh, with treating individuals who are now reversed on Narcan, who come in after an overdose to an ED, they're stabilized by the ED doctor, and you know, but the ED doctor's focus is on saving a life. And they do that very effectively and they stabilize the patient, but then the patient runs out the door. So one of the initiatives has to do with the warm handoff. So that means a warm handoff is essentially ensuring that the ED doctor, after stabilizing the patient, has the uh, su support or the staff or the infrastructure to speak with the patient once they're stabilized explain to them that 
treatment is their best option. And do something sort of akin to a, a motivational interview or a brief intervention that's uh, motivational in nature and to help them decide to go to treatment. What they're actually using in many cases are CRSs, Certified Recovery Specialists, who oftentimes appear, uh, they, they've actually gone through recovery themselves, but they do that intervention. So it's sort of like a shared medical appointment in the emergency department. A very interesting line of research that's been conducted by uh, Gail D'Onofrio from Yale has focused on how to improve that process. And what they've done, which is actually very uh, novel, is to use Suboxone at the time of the ED visit. To give them their first dose of Suboxone, that partial agonist that I mentioned earlier, that prevents withdrawal. And when, when Gail D'Onofrio compared individuals who received Suboxone versus a referral alone, she found that uh, many, many more, significantly more individuals who received the medication actually attended their, their treatment program. Hmm. So we're seeing a lot of that happening and evolving around us right now. It's, it's a very interesting line of research. Well, thank you, Dr. Festinger. The opioid crisis is one of the greatest public health crises that our nation faces, and the need for an interprofessional approach to treatment has never been clearer. To learn more about Dr. Festinger's work and the work of PCOM alumni and other faculty studying opioid addiction and treatment, read the latest issue of Digest or visit pcom.edu slash digest. I'm Dr. Jay Feldstein. This has been PCOM Perspectives.